Due to some technical issues, we will not have a Mesh Musings this week. There are a couple of potential different topics for next week, including one about uh, calling out some of the vendor uh, fluff or BS that's been out there. Um, Also, maybe one on why data discovery is so hard or potentially one wrapping up what uh, a lot of the different conversations have had around data contracts as there was another data contracts episode recorded last week and uh, just had another chat today on Sunday about uh, data contracts as well. As per usual, we will have the bottom line of front summaries for each of the episodes to follow here. So the episode, the first episode of this week that will be released on Monday is a pragmatic approach to getting started with Data Mesh at Northern Trust, which is an interview with Khan Chow. Khan shared about what he and the team learned in Northern Trust's early Data Mesh journey, the necessary patience and vision it takes to be able to make a Data Mesh implementation work. There are a lot of great learnings to take away from this one. It's just kind of a, a fun, calm, relaxed conversation. The episode that's coming out on Tuesday is Data Governance in Data Mesh, which is Address the Micro and the Macro. This is an interview with Mohammed Syed. If you're not familiar with Mohammed, he's been an active participant since the very start of the community. A key output from this episode was governance only works with informed governors. You need to enable your teams to make decisions at the micro level with the backup when they need it and to focus the central team on the, you know, enabling the risk mitigation and the value enhancement at the macro mesh level. The governance team needs to be focused on that macro and that kind of high level mesh level value maximization. This is the first of quite a few governance episodes that are um, have been recorded or are scheduled to be recorded over the next three or month, months or so. The episode for Friday is Designing a Data Literacy Approach for Data Engineers, an interview with Dan Sullivan. Dan and I discussed his history of teaching data engineers through online training and the best ways to set them up for learning success. His three pillars to growth uh, are enhancing domain knowledge, in general learning, you know, as in taking the time to do training or similar, and collaboration, something like pair programming. So I think you're going to learn a lot from this week's episodes. As a quick reminder, the Patreon is live that has interviews that have been recorded but are yet to be released. So there are about 10 episodes on there. You can kind of get a sense for what's up there. I'd love to hear people's feedback if you want me to post the bottom line up front as just kind of the teaser so people can go and check that out and see if there are episodes that they want to jump to. That money is going to be used specifically for funding things like transcripts and and things like that. None of it will go to me. So please, if you're able to, please do uh, sign up. It also shows support, which means that we can get further funding from external uh, sources that they say oh, okay, this thing is uh, really helping people. And so we can continue to get better support for the community. All this stuff right now, we're having a lot of companies that are taking and not having a lot that are putting back into the community. So we want to kind of entice them and show them that this community is really doing something big. So that. Without further ado, let's jump into the bottom line upfronts for this week's episode. 
I, I think you'll really enjoy these ones. Bottom line up front, what will you hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Khan Chow, lead architect for the Data Mesh Initiative at Northern Trust. Let's start with the background first. Northern Trust has been moving forward with Data Mesh for about seven months as part of their high-level digital transformation initiative. On the data side, they had previously focused on data virtualization and data federation, but it was not delivering the results that they had wanted. They were too IT slash technology focused. Instead of centering on getting the data to consumers in a usable, consumable format, it was also not as scalable as they wanted. It was taking two to three months to launch each new data service. They did not have great information on who was consuming the data and, and why. Lineage was also an issue. Northern Trust decided on going down their data mesh path to take a pragmatic approach, such as not pushing all aspects of data ownership fully left. Adavinta took a similar approach, even if the implementation details were very different. Khan and team were focused on finding a happy balance on data product SLAs and quality. Improvement was crucial, but good and done is better than perfect and just a few more weeks slash months. Khan talked about the need for exec buy-in before heading down the data mesh path. They got that exec buy-in by proving that the total cost of ownership or TCO of the data was quite high as the consumers had to do a lot of work to get the data to a usable format. It was not easy to prove though as a word of caution. For their proof of concept for data mesh, they set a timeline of three sprints, which was nine total weeks. They needed to prove value by then or data mesh would be a tough sell internally. Khan talked about the need to sell data mesh as a paradigm shift, get people out of technology-focused thinking, which is kind of what led them down that data virtualization and data federation path that wasn't paying off for them. When speaking internally, the business people, you know, really the domains, were very excited to participate if it meant that they could get quality data. Some of the IT slash data engineering folks were harder to convince. It was especially hard to get them to shed layers of not very useful technology. A common pushback was kind of, but my toys. Some IT teams were easier to convince as they had felt the impact of a few too many middle of the night data downtime incidents. Other teams hadn't felt that pain, so they were harder to win over. There was also the incentive of additional possibilities. Data Mesh meant that these teams could do things that they couldn't do before. Khan talked about the 80-20 rule. You know, I'm seeing this in a lot of places. Make the platform the easy and right path for 80% of the use cases. Don't try to paint too much of the white space. Don't try and paint too much in the corners because you'll be spending all of your time focused on those corner cases instead of improving it for the vast majority of of users. Focused on making things easy to configure, basically what transformations do you want to do, and then it automatically provisions the pipelines for the teams. Their goal was to make it easy to make good progress quickly. Their time to initial deploy went from two to three months per data service when they were doing the data virtualization and data federation route to two to three weeks to per data product, and they hope to drive it down even further. So that's about 
you know, a, a 75% reduction. A big focus and a key driver for Northern Trust has been building muscle and learning evolving along the way. It's important to evolve quickly and not build muscle in the wrong way. When you think about sports and you think about training and things like that, if you do things the wrong way repeatedly, that becomes ingrained. And that's, that's bad because it's hard to kind of get yourself out of that mode. But you also need to make failure okay. You should look to make it easy to fail fast, measure, and adjust. Northern Trust is still in the early days of figuring out interoperability between data products. It's more of an art than a science. You know, Khan believes that bitemporality is more important right now than interoperability. But the Northern Trust team understands that interoperability is important as it allows, one, more easily sharing data from acquired companies, and two, leveraging of data from legacy systems. For Khan, he really emphasized that you have to be passionate about making data better to do a good job implementing data mesh. And it is definitely a journey, so you need patience and vision. Also, each journey is unique. You can't just copy-paste from another organization as much as a lot of us want to do that. So heck yes, say that with me again one more time. Each journey is unique. You can't copy-paste from another organization. This is another really good um, interview in our series of user journey stories, and I think you'll really enjoy it and get a lot out of it. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Mohammed Syed, lead strategist at Carruthers and Jackson, a data consultancy. Mohammed has been writing data mesh content since early 2021 and has been an active member of the community almost since founding. You can find a link to his latest piece in the show notes as well. Per Mohammed, data governance in data mesh is a very is very different to doing data governance for either a data lake or a data warehouse. The warehouse has a focus on high-level quality and usability, but at the expense of context and agility. Data Lake is about metadata and lineage, but at the severe expense of usability, schema and query is very much not fun for consumers and and often quality as well. For most data organizations, governance has been very macro focused up until now, governing the data warehouse or lake as a whole. This is part of why we think that data governance has become a major bottleneck. The focus is on managing at that macro level but the individual requests are the micro, you know, they're, they're for access to specific things. And those are much harder to, to answer if your entire org is set up to deal with the macro instead of the micro. In data mesh, governance can shift to being about maximizing the value of data instead of mostly about preventing risk and access control and things like that. Of course, there's a balance between local maximization, the value of each data product, and global maximization, the value at the overall data mesh level. A key focus to data mesh governance is enabling, especially enabling the domains to govern their own data products. Mohammed made the point that you need to enable your domains by creating the technical and business definitions of a good data product. Then the governance team needs to teach teams about the quality definitions, such as data product consumability. There's a need for policies, of course, but 
mostly focus on frameworks to enable policy creation and enforcement. Again, Data Mesh is about decentralizing that data governance. That's one of the pillars. Mohammed emphasized the quote-unquote good data product definition leads to the separation of data quality and data product quality. A data product might be more valuable for other reasons or less costly, so it has a higher return on investment by having relaxed data quality standards. In a data warehouse implementation, there is really only a single definition of quote-unquote good quality, but that just won't do in a data mesh. We really need to develop better frameworks for what data quality means at the micro level in data mesh. I think this shift in thinking slash framing and the nuance of understanding the differences between general data quality and a high quality data product are really key. There is this historical requirement that doesn't work for all data to be fully correct at all times. This has kind of been the thing around data warehouse. It's either correct or it's not versus thinking about that service level agreement. What what is a good correctness level or a good freshness level or whatever? We need to be able to relax constraints to meet the most pressing needs for a data product. If every aspect has to adhere to this, you know, pie in the sky, five nines type of quality, your data mesh will probably fail. Figure out what are the most important things and communicate where you might fall short for each data product. That should be documented so people can really understand what they're looking at and what they're trying to leverage and if it meets their needs. A key point Mohammed made was that I think really, really rings true. Governance only works with informed governors. So you must teach your domains to govern properly. Transparency is also key to make data governance work. To get data governance right, strategy and maturity are crucial. What are you actually trying to accomplish? Data mesh for the sake of data mesh is worthless, just like any other paradigm. This is the first in the series of what will probably be a significant number of interviews around data governance, because I think it's a topic that is not all that well understood or covered relative to data mesh. And I think this is a really, really good jumping off point and that you'll get a lot out of this and kind of be prepared for future episodes as well. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Dan Sullivan, Principal Data Architect at 4 Mile Analytics. I asked Dan to be on to chat about data literacy as he has put together a number of online classes around database and data engineering topics. Dan's three key pillars for driving data literacy for data engineers are one, domain knowledge, two, learning, and three, collaboration. Data engineers should pair with business people to acquire domain knowledge. They should be given the opportunity to spend time doing things like online training so they can actually learn new skills and and new approaches. And they should collaborate across the organization instead of just being ticket tacklers. Jmac has mentioned in a few talks that data engineers, at least as many are currently used, may not be a thing in data mesh going forward and possibly 
kind of in the whole industry. There's a lot of, of people I talk to who behind closed doors will say that they don't think that data engineers will be doing what they're doing or exist in something like five years. Dan actually somewhat agrees. Uh, as right now, there's a big rush to build out the initial iterations of data products in the industry definition, not just the data mesh definition of, of data products. Going forward, Dan thinks there will be a need for data engineers that can really understand consumer needs and build the interactions, such as the SDKs, to leverage data. It might be like what happened with distributed systems engineers in the early to mid-2010s and what is starting to happen with streaming data engineers now. Per Dan, not all data engineers are the same depending on background. Some come from a data analyst slash data science background, but many come from a software engineering background. So we can't treat training all data engineers as if it's the same. But we do need data engineers to have a well-rounded understanding of, of what's going on. So a big need is for them to understand more about the data consumers and or the producers. So embedding them in, in the do different domains can really help to round out their understanding and, and their experience. For driving buy-in with data engineers, Dan points to the problems typically being around incentives. Data engineering is often also hampered by organizational, organizational issues and a lack of clear direction. So if you can tackle those, you can often win over the data engineers. In any organization, but especially in one implementing data mesh, standards, protocols, and, and data contracts are all very important. However, most data engineering teams are not given the time to actually create those and, and really manage those well. They take a lot of effort and are hard to get right. So we need to give people the space to really tackle those, those different aspects. A, a very, very key point that Dan brought up is around tech debt and data. Taking on tech debt should always be a very conscious choice. But the way most organizations work with data is much more of an unconscious choice, especially by data producers who are often taking on that tech debt that the data engineering teams will have to pay down. So again, what choices you're making should consciously lead to what tech debt you take on but when it comes to the way most organizations are handling data, that's not at all the case. And we have to move past that. We have to find ways to deliver value quickly, but with discipline so that we aren't just taking on especially unconscious, but even the conscious tech debt when it's not necessary. Dan also talked about how data can take a lot of useful practices from agile, especially the fast cycle feedback loop, and that data people really need to think more about the user experience for data. Um, the interview that uh, I had with the predictive UX folks, uh, Karen and Steve, talked about this too, that there just really isn't nearly as much of a necessary focus on user experience when it comes to data. And to do data mesh right, or data in general right, that user experience really does need to be part of what you're considering. So I think you'll get I think you'll get a good approach to working with data engineers to get them to a place where they need to be to really help 
implement your data mesh or whatever data projects that you're looking to to kind of move forward.